from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for Jersey Jump Shot, episode 18 on the year. Our season finale wrapping up the 2020-2021 basketball season as the Baylor Bears are your national champions for the year. Well, of course... Get into the Final Four and talk about the national championship game that occurred last night. We'll get into some New Jersey team news about who's going, who's staying. We'll update you on all of that, and we'll wrap up this crazy, unusual season as Baylor, again, wins the national championship. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Guys, a a Final Four that produced maybe one of the best college basketball games any of us have ever seen with UCLA and Gonzaga in the semifinals and then a national championship game that, well, Baylor was in control of the entire time and uh, not really much of a game, uh, maybe a surprising result for some. The the perfect season for Gonzaga is ruined and Baylor wins their first men's championship. They have three on the women's side. So a, a nice win for the Baylor Bears there. Just your thoughts. Uh, we'll start with you, Jerry, on the on the final four in the national championship. Let's say, first of all, let's say congratulations to the NCAA, to, to, uh, to Danny Gavitt, who ran the tournament, to the teams, the coaches, the players, uh, the officials, and those who ran the sites for pulling off this tournament in a pandemic. To me, it's the most impressive thing that's happened in the sports world since the coronavirus and COVID pandemic started. You know, to play a season is one thing. To pull off a tournament where, you know, an elimination tournament where, you know, any shutdown could throw the tournament into, into chaos was really impressive. I think much needed for the sport and for, for society who values this event so much. So just one blemish, you know, VCU had to scratch their opening round game. But otherwise, they got the tournament, and it was and it was an amazing accomplishment. The second thing I'll say is, you know, you did get you got two I think vintage March Madness moments, just an epic all time great semifinal, Gonzaga over UCLA, the second best college basketball game I've ever seen, given the stakes behind uh, Duke Kentucky in 1992. Steve, you could weigh in. You've seen a little more than I have, but that's the second best game I can ever remember seeing. And then you got a great and epic. Uh, Cinderella run, well, really two of them by an 11 seed UCLA, but but I think in the more classic Cinderella mold, Oral Roberts, a 15 seed, coming within one buzzer shot of an Elite Eight game, and then you had Rutgers in the tournament making some history. So it really was it really was a really good tournament on a lot of levels. Yeah, I was at the uh, Christian Leitner game in Philly in '92, and. Uh, I would say this is probably as close to you as you're going to get to that was that national semifinal. You know, I th- I think I think your point is 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 spot on, Jerry. There were there were just enough of those memorable, poignant moments to keep everyone engaged and given the fact that there wasn't a tournament last year, it just made everything that happened seem that much more special. So, you know, I th- I think overall yeah, the ending was kind of disappointing, but when you look at the tournament as a whole, uh, you know, I think I really think it w- you'll look back and say ah, it was a great tournament. Yeah, I, I'll echo a lot of you know what you guys said, and I, and I kind of alluded to this in the last podcast that just you know uh, how much we appreciate what we were able to just watch after the way that things went last year. Um, but yeah, that that national semifinal game was incredible. I mean, you know, when when Jalen Suggs hit that shot, you know, I'm pretty quiet when I watch games. I don't really say too much, but when he hit that, I I, 
I yelled out, you know, I made some noise and then yelled out something else that I won't repeat on this podcast because it's family friendly. But, <laughs> uh, it was just an incredible, it was just an incredible game, and it was just so much fun to watch. It's one of those games that, you know, we're going to be seeing highlights of for for decades to come, and and we're going to be talking about where we were, you know, when he hit it. So, just an amazing game. Um, so it was a great NCAA tournament with all, you know, so many great upsets, and uh, it was just so much fun. So. You know, as Jerry said, congratulations to the NCAA and all the teams and the players involved for for pulling it off. It was it was just a lot of fun over the last few weeks. What you ask for as a sports fan is a moment, right? It's a moment that you'll remember. That's a shared community moment. Like we, you know, Steve said he knows where he was when 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 Leitner hit the shot to beat Duke uh, to beat uh, Kentucky in the Elite Eight in Philly. I remember where I was. Like everyone of our of our age remembers where they were, and I think this will be that moment. Like the Jalen Sugg shot to beat UCLA, people will remember where they were standing, what they were doing, who they were with. You know, I was, I woke up my two kids screaming, you know, it was one of those things, right? Uh, and I didn't yell the expletives, Chris, because you got to, you got to weed those out when you got the little ones, but man, was I loud. Uh, it was one of those moments. Like that's what you ask, that's what you ask for from sports is are moments. And that was a moment that we're all going to talk about for a very long time, even though it didn't result in Gonzaga winning the title, uh, and that's, I would, that's why I would put it behind Duke for those two reasons. Duke went on to win the title, and then Leitner's shot was a do-or-die. You know, there was no overtime. if he, You know, there was a, not an additional overtime. If he misses that shot, Duke loses. Uh, I put that a notch ahead, but this was number two, and that's, that's what you want as a sports fan. It, it really was an amazing, amazing feeling. I'll throw that Villanova UNC championship game in the in the running too for uh, as terms of drama and buzzer beaters and all that in an NCAA tournament game. But you're right, Jerry. This this checked all the boxes that you want in an NCAA tournament. Uh, at me watching at home, didn't mind that it was all in one site. That didn't bother me. Whatever. Didn't mind that there was only a handful of fans in the building for for all these games. It didn't matter once the ball was tipped and you were watching these games and you had the upsets. Uh, I think you could argue that the two best teams in the country absolutely were in the national championship game last night and Baylor right from the start dominated. So they're the national champions and Gonzaga joins an unfortunate list of maybe one of the better teams to not win it all. Uh, I remember that Kentucky team from a few years back with Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker. They were undefeated and they lost, I believe, in the semifinals to Wisconsin. So. Uh, a, a dubious distinction for them, but congrats to the Baylor Bears. Uh, they John were... Calipari not getting the ball to Carl Towns, letting his there guards jack up shots. What coaching negligence that was. You mentioned you mentioned uh, Villanova and uh, North Carolina, and that was such a great game with a tremendous end sequence. That's in the Pantheon for sure. I think, Steve, of NC State and, uh, and uh, Houston yep. in 83, tie yep. game. Lorenzo Charles with a putback dunk at the buzzer. Uh, and NC State, you know, being a six seed, the really sort of the one of the really the first Cinderella to win it all, uh, just sort of put March Madness on the map. Even yep. though the tournament was a big deal, that put the madness part into March. That was epic. And then, of course, Villanova is an eight seed beating Georgetown by two in one of the great upsets of all time, one of the great George, Georgetown, one of the great teams ever with Patrick Ewing. That was another championship game, you know, at Final Four. Uh, classic. So th- th- that's the pantheon I think of. But it's great that the tournament mm. produces moments like this. And I mentioned and last night, you know, 32 years later, still the the last the last NCAA final to be decided by one point was Seton Hall, Michigan, and that's another one. Game went into yep. overtime. John Morton scores 35 points, two three seeds, 
and Seton Hall, which had come out of nowhere in the national consciousness. And then it's it's marred because they lose on a, on a bad call, but also a game that deserves to be in the upper reaches when you mention these classics. And those and those are the games, those are the kind of games you need to grow the sport. Those are the those are the moments that a dad and his kids, and Jerry, you mentioned it, you know, that's when kids get engaged in this stuff when you when you're with your dad and you see things like that um it's just so important i remember one of my earliest sports memories is my dad i probably was six or seven waking me up to tell me about jerry west hitting the 60 foot shot in in the in the nba finals 1970 against the knicks um you know so those are those are the moments that get you hooked on sports yeah, my, my dad was rooting for That's NC why we State. said before that the NCAA tournament's the best sporting event. Yeah, my dad was rooting for NC State in 83 because Valvano, his name ended in a vowel. He was a New York guy, had gone to Rutgers. That's all my dad cared about. He's Italian. He's got New Jersey, New York roots. I'm rooting for this guy. I don't care who he coaches. So my dad's rooting serious. My dad is rooting for Jim Valvano, and that's he gets caught up in this whole thing. And I remember him saying, you got to watch this. I'm 10 years old. You know, the, the age my son is now. My son just turned 11. And I remember him saying, you got to watch this. This is a, this sport is great. It's as good as every bit as good as the NFL. You have to watch this. And he was just getting into it. And that sort of launched a lifelong love for the sport. And, Steve, you couldn't have said it any better. Like, these are the moments. And Saturday night, you know, was such a moment. It's unfortunate we didn't get another Monday. But we're, we're thankful that we got one on Saturday. Absolutely. And then you see it all the time during these broadcasts. They, they show the, the flashback of the, the current player as a, a five-year-old, as a six-year-old decked out in UCLA gear, Gonzaga gear, Baylor gear, whatever you might have it watching these games. So you can only imagine uh, the youngsters watching these games during the tournament this year, screaming for Oral Roberts and screaming for Rutgers when they won and, and what they will be in the future, whether it's uh, you know fans or, or coaches or what have you or they're the future stars it's 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 definitely something to think about and they were given and all of us were given a, a great tournament this year so again congratulations to the baylor bears the national champions as far for our new jersey schools uh, of course it's kind of a running tab of, of what's going on with the programs here in the garden state between Rutgers, seton hall and our max schools uh let's just start uh with kind of a rundown of, of what's the latest with our teams uh who's leaving uh, who has decided to come into these programs? We're going to start with Rutgers and, and you, Chris, because I know uh, it's Harper's declared for the draft. Uh, Mathis is into the portal. Uh, we already had a couple guys that were that were in the transfer portal as well. So what's the latest with the Scarlet Knights? Well, so far, it's a lot of status quo from what we talked about last week. Obviously, Miles Johnson is in the border, uh, portal, uh, Jacob Young. I was a little bit more surprised by Montez Mathis um, going into it where – we're still waiting on Geo Baker's decision whether he's going to come back. And as far as Ron Harper Jr. Um, kind of, you know, testing out the NBA waters, there's absolutely no drawback to him going through that process. It's it's great for him to kind of get evaluated by people at the next level, see where his game is at, see, see where he wants to improve, to to really continue to um, you know make himself a, a better NBA prospect. So I think it makes all the sense in the world for him to go through that process. Um, so you know, right now it's just kind of you know. We're sort of in a holding pattern to see what this team is going to look like next year and, you know, who Rutgers, you know, officially ultimately loses and, and who they're able to add uh, to see what this team looks like going into next year. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. Just kind of waiting to see what guys decide to do and, and who's coming back and, and who they're going to bring in. Chris, you've co- you've covered the NBA extensively. Where, where does Ron Harper fit in on his draft board right now? You know, it's I, I think it, 
It's a good question. I mean, I, I I've heard some from some people, you know, this season watching him that say, you know, he definitely has plenty of improvements to make. Um, I, you know, it's really tough to say right now. I mean, I'm not sure exactly where he would fit in. I, I think because, you know, part of the problem too is that his season was sort of disjointed in some ways. I mean, he had an overall good year, but obviously he played a lot better at the start. And a lot of people were saying, wow, that, you know, I mean, he just looked like a different player at times. So I think it's it's tough to say because of the way that kind of his season went. But, you know, he certainly has improvements to make. I think that he can continue to make them. But uh, I don't know. I mean, where would you see him footing in right now, Jerry? I mean, where, where do you think he's? So probably he's probably not going to get drafted. I mean, based on the season that he had, um, he, I don't think he, he's just his three-point shot isn't consistent enough. You know, he's a six-foot-six forward, which – are there any of those in the NBA? I mean, maybe guys who shoot the lights out from deep. And he's probably got to get – he probably has to just get in better shape. I don't know if his his speed, his quickness is at NBA level right now. So I would say no. Uh, I would say he's not an NBA – really an NBA prospect. That said, I would agree with what you said, Chris, that certainly there's no harm in getting an evaluation. He, he did appear on some draft boards, on some mocks in the second round. When you do that, you know, you're supposed to get an evaluation. That's the way the system is set up to help him – figure out what he's got to do. So I, there's no harm in him getting the evaluation. I just would be very surprised if he winds up leaving and not coming back. Uh, I also would be surprised. I, I don't know if anything will surprise you at this point with the transfer portal, but it seems like Geo Baker is trending toward coming back. It is hard to imagine him wearing another school's colors uh, with how much he's meant to Rutgers as, as a foundation piece for their rise here. So, you know, if they if Rutgers gets Harper and Baker back, they they'll have to add some pieces to the portal, right? They have to add they have to add a rebounding and defensive big. They're not going to find a Miles Johnson. There is no other Miles Johnson in the portal. I don't care if there's 1,200 guys in there, but they got to find a guy who can rebound and defend a big. They have to find a three and D guard, you know, to replace Jacob Young. And it, so it's possible to replace those pieces, but they got to get them and they got to get the guys who are fit because right now Rutgers has lost a lot. So like at the moment they don't project as an NCAA tournament team next year, Steve Peichel has to hit the portal hard, and he has had success with transfers, Jacob Young, Akwasi Yaboa, but they're going to have to retain Gio and and Harper and the other guys they have, which I think will stay, and then they have to add those two pieces before we can talk about them being back in the big dance. Yeah, I agree. Getting getting Gio and Harper back, I mean, that's that would be huge for them. And and again, they're these foundation guys. And then once again, you have that foundation going into next year, and then you see what you can find in the portal. There's certainly no shortage of talent. Uh, we mentioned it on the last show. It's not just about talent; it's about fit. You need to you need to fill a need. You need to fill a role on the team. Since uh, you know, obviously, you want talented players coming to your program, but you also got to make sure they fit into your system. So Rutgers, uh, as it stands now, it, it, they have a lot more guys that are leaving, it seems, or, or at least uh, entering the portal, uh, then staying or, or coming in. So they definitely got to hit that portal hard and get some guys into this program. Uh, Jerry, as for Seton Hall, uh, some news coming out for the Pirates, uh, who's staying, who's leaving, and also they've gotten some guys coming in as well in the Harris brothers from North Brunswick, I believe. Right, well, Jameer and Jaquan Harris. Jameer is going to be a Pirate next year. He's a transfer from American University where he averaged 20 points a game this year in the Patriot League. So he's a He's an impact player. Will start for them in his postgraduate year. Uh, his brother is a, is a, is a junior at St. Thomas Aquinas, so he would be you know for two years down the road a very highly regarded point guard. Nice to get a package deal of local brothers for sure. And there's a third Harris brother who supposedly is the best one of them all. So we'll see. That's a long way off. He's a freshman at, 
at St. Thomas Aquinas and Edison. But so the Pirates do have somebody coming in. They did lose Shavar Reynolds, who you know is in the portal, who is a local guy. We've talked about him a lot. Manchester Township, rags to riches, storybooks, uh, storybook career, walked on at Seton Hall, coming out of Manchester Township and prep school in in uh, Belmar, and uh, you know really carved out a tremendous niche for himself with the Pirates, helped them hang a banner, and now he's moving on because you know Seton Hall's turn. They're having some roster turnover. They're going to have a lot of new faces coming in, young guys at guard, in addition to Harris. So for for Reynolds to keep to, to play a big role on a team next year, he's gonna he's gonna look elsewhere and and it, you know it, we'll find out soon enough. But it seems like uh, maybe a, a, one of New Jersey's three Mac schools could be a, a landing destination for him. I could see him staying local, and then Mac would be a great level Steve where he could be an all Mac type player, or maybe Elon out of the CAA. You know I know he's got connections there, and they're a good team, and that's a beautiful campus down in North Carolina. That's kind of what I'm hearing for him. We'll find out soon enough. And obviously, he's a loss for the Pirates, but I think wherever he winds up, he'll be a big addition to that school. He would be a great addition for the Mac, you know, wherever he would land. Uh, you know, he would be an impact player because he can shoot, he can get to the basket. And in that league, you know, you you look at what uh, Ant Nelson did this year. He averaged almost 14 points a game at Manhattan. You know, I could see Shavar Reynolds doing at least that, probably more. In the Mac next year. Right, because he beat out Nelson for playing time the year before last. And then Seton Hall's roster did take a stabilizing uh, addition with Miles Kale announcing he's going to return for a fifth year. So a fifth-year pirate, really rare. You know, it's been it's been 15 years since they had a fifth-year player, and that was due to an injury. So uh, Miles Kale will be back, and he'll be a solid player for them, as he has been in the past. You know, Seton Hall's going to have to add – they're going to have to add – they're going to have to add a shooter – um, they're going to have to add probably a big, I would think. So they have pieces they have to fill out as well. They have two roster spots left, maybe three. We'll see what Bryce Aiken decides to do. Nobody knows if he's going to keep playing basketball, often injured point guard for them this year. So, you know, Seton Hall right now, you know, they look like an NIT team for next year. If they want to take the next step, they're going to have to pull a splash out of the portal. I know they're looking at a guard from uh, from Syracuse, Kadari Richmond. They, get, they, they could use a playmaking point guard because the only point guard, true point guard they have coming in is a freshman, Ryan Conway, out of Delaware. Do you really want to hand the freshman a ball in the Big East? We'll see. But, I, you know, Seton Hall, again, Willard, like Peichel, he's got some work to do in the portal. So their roster's not in as much flux as Rutgers, but still they're going to have to add a piece or two going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Some work to do in the portal for the Pirates. And and I'm glad we mentioned the Mac because we have some news out of the Mac, specifically Mammoth. And I'll let you take this, Steve, because it's uh, it has to do with King Rice, the coach, of course, at Mammoth, uh, talking with North Carolina after Roy Williams announces his retirement. Of course, a, a coaching vacancy down there. What's the latest with that? Well, you know, North Carolina moves so quickly on this and, and they've already hired Hubert Davis, you know, a great player at North Carolina, been an assistant under Roy Williams now for a while. Uh, but what they did was they brought eight to 10 guys uh, or they interviewed eight to 10 guys last weekend, all but two with Carolina connections. And King Rice, Mama's head coach, was one of them. Um, and, you know, one of the questions they were asking was, particularly of the guys who have head coaching experience, would you be interested in playing a supporting role as an assistant coach? So, um, you know, I think King Rice is still in the mix probably for one of those assistant coaches. We're going to know more about that probably later today. 
But uh, that would be, you know, uh, put Mammoth into a coaching search for the first time in a decade. Uh, so th- that that's the biggest flux of all uh, at Mammoth right now. But, but Steve, do you, do you? I mean, Mammoth's a good mid-major job, right? Yeah. It's a good facility, beautiful campus. Yeah. Was it? Is it worth leaving a job? There's only so many of those jobs. Is it worth leaving that job to be an assistant coach? That's a good question. You know, and I think I think the ultimately it would come down to the pull of Carolina and King Rice going back to his roots. Because quite honestly, I, I think King Rice was making making more this season than Hubert Davis was making as an assistant at North Carolina. So, you know, I I'm not sure he wants to take a big pay cut to go down there, but um you know, I, I think it, I think him leaving would be the lure of going back to North Carolina, you know, where it all kind of started for him. It's interesting so. because, like, that's uh, – King has a little – he has a kingdom going. I mean, he's done well enough yeah. at Mama to be comfortable right. and not on the hot seat, right? Right. So yeah. it's just it's just strange. Like, why why leave your kingdom? Boy, it must – I don't – I guess you don't understand if you're not in the North Carolina Brotherhood, right, if you're not in that right. family because he's now going to basically yoke himself to Hubert Davis and also – King has enjoyed, I guess, you know, he's flown under the radar in a lot of ways. And now he's going into this pressure cooker situation where the scrutiny is off the charts. I know he w- wouldn't be the head coach, but boy, it's really trading one one kingdom for a, uh, another situation. It's totally different. And I tell you what, and you know this, Steve, if that job opens, and again, we're speaking in hypotheticals, if that job opens, there is going to be a mad rush to try to get that job among, you know, qualified uh, hot, top assistant coaches and maybe some 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 people with head coaching experience. That's a well-regarded job in the coaching community. No, absolutely. You you walk in there with the best building in your league, uh, at a school that is paying competitively with all the best salaries in that league, uh, in a league that has Rick Pitino that raises the profile of that league. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot you know there's a lot of advantages to that. And listen, they'll be overwhelmed with high level assistants trying to get that job. So something we'll definitely keep an eye on. Of course, uh, that's, that's the biggest news coming out of the Mac in the off season. And also for, for our Jersey players, specifically Scotty Lewis and Brian Antoine, uh, they're making some news as well. Scotty Lewis uh, down at Florida. Of course they were teammates at Ranny uh, Scotty Lewis declaring for the NBA draft and Jerry doesn't sound like he has intentions on coming back. He mentioned hiring an agent. Right. So he's gone. It looks like he's, he's definitely gone from Florida. And, you know, I, I know that Steve and I have talked about this before when Lewis and Antoine were in high school, there was a lot of stuff about this, the recruiting industrial complex labeled them as potential one and done, which we all knew was ridiculous, but this is a, it has an impact when, when the recruiting industrial complex does that it has an impact on the expectations of these players and the people around them. And so, you know, Scotty Lewis probably enters college without, with expectations of, of leaving after one max two years, but he never really took off as a college player. Like we had thought that doesn't mean he wouldn't, you know, he, he could still have blossomed. He did play well in the NCAA tournament, but he only averaged seven points and three rebounds a game for Florida. He's a good defender, but his offensive game never really developed to where you would think NBA. So I, I am I'm, I'm surprised that I'm not. I'm not surprised because of what the, the recruiting industrial complex puts in these kids' heads. I am surprised because it just doesn't seem like he's NBA ready, even though what Steve knows him better than I do will tell you he's an NBA athlete. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Yeah, I, it will be very interesting to see where he lands 
you know, let, let's assume he's not going to get drafted. Um, you know, listen, it's you, you can go to Europe and you, you can make some good money. Um, he, I'm sure there would, there would be a spot for him, um, in terms of, you know, staying in this country and trying to work your way into the NBA. That's a tough grind. You know, that is not easy to do. So, um, it, it will be interesting to see what, what kind of the path, uh, where it all takes him now. Now, Brian Antoine has had, you know, his t- Lewis's teammate at Ranny, Ranny, where they led Ranny to the tournament of champions title. Uh, Antoine has had two injury marred years at Villanova and it's just bad breaks, you know, and he's obviously been behind some really good players there, but he started to play toward the end of the season and he played pretty well in the minutes he got and he did well in the NCAA tournament. And now sort of the portal watches on. This is what we do now, right? At 1,200 people in the portal, who is Brian Antoine going to be next? And everyone kind of assumes he is because everybody just leaves for greener pastures because that's what they do. And so you wonder, is Brian, is Brian Antoine best served by staying at Villanova and growing into that role of upperclassman guard at a place that's produced a string of pro and big-time college guards? Or does he you know, see greener patches because his role has been somewhat limited. This is, these are the options today's players have. Well, I, I tell you what, if your goal is to play in the NBA, I don't know why you would leave Villanova, you know, just stick with it. Let, let Jay Wright develop you. And his time is coming. You know, he's, he's been, he's had to be patient because he's been injured, but you know, if you leave now, it's like your your last two years have been for naught. You know, I think you got to stick it out now, and I hope he does. Now we know that Villanova has good players coming in, and so he'll have to compete. But and we're not privy to the conversations he's having with Jay Wright about his future. All that said, you you part of you kind of wants to see him stick it out and blossom in that in that program because we know he has a lot of talent, and we know that program does well with its guards. I want to say something about the transfer portal here for a minute because it's been a huge subject of discussion. Right, we we're on our way to to having, you know, at least a quarter, maybe a third of, of all Division One players in the transfer portal. And a coach told me two years ago, if they take out the sit-out penalty for transfers, if the NCAA does it, which they're doing, and then it's going to be 50%. And I thought, 50%? 50%? It's not going to be 50%. That's ridiculous. And now we might be headed in that direction. I think part of why there's so many transfers is it was not a great experience this year in the pandemic you know, isolation, the constant testing, the lack of campus life, it just wasn't fun for a lot of these players. So I would think next year as campuses open and return to normal, if I was a Division One head coach, I'd make it a priority to help these players experience more of campus life, get better integrated into the campus so they're enjoying the college experience more and not only there for the basketball. And if the basketball doesn't go great, they're going to run out the door. and There's no allegiance to the college. That's part of it. Part of it is you know, the freedom of movement is a natural evolution to, to the way college athletics is going, okay? And the part of it also is you don't know who's in these guys' ears. Some of them are leaving for valid reasons. Some of them are leaving for promises that are never going to come to fruition. And so you would hope that everyone's getting good advice, but they're all probably not. not that all of them are probably not getting good advice. Some of them are, and some of them aren't. And I think after a season unlike one we've ever seen before, I think we're we're in store for an off season like one we've never seen before with just how many players are, are entering this transfer portal. By the way, weird name, portal. It sounds like a Twilight Zone thing. They're entering the portal. I, I, <laughs> well, it is. It has become the Twilight Zone. 
I, they couldn't come up with a better name. It's just such a weird thing. Like, oh, some someone's in the portal. Like, man, I hope he's okay. I hope he gets out. But uh, <laughs> we'll keep an eye on all that, of course. And as we wrap up this this crazy season, guys, I just want to get your final thoughts on the 2020-2021 season. Uh, just what you'll remember, what you learned, just your takeaways from this season. And, and Jerry, we'll start with you. Well, first of all, I'm glad we had it. Because back in September, and I'm not going to name names, and there was nobody on this on this in this podcast, but there were people in the sports media establishment calling for the everything to be scrapped in September, and we all thought they should go ahead with it, and they did, and 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 good for them. So I'm glad we had a season. We realized, like Chris said, how much it really meant to us. You realize it when it's gone. So that was nice. It wasn't great covering this covering it this season because you had to do it from afar. I did miss that intimacy that face-to-face intimacy that college sports brings that maybe our colleagues who cover the pros don't get. But it was nice to have a season. And, you know, it was we had some fun storylines. We had some fun with it. And I'm glad it happened. And so, listen, the countdown's on. Now the thing is, can we have a normal 2021-22? Fans in the stands, media at courtside, face-to-face interactions, in-person interviews, you know, that's what we we'll hope for next year. And we missed a lot of that this year. But it was, what we had was definitely better than nothing. You know, I, I'm really I'm a practice guy. I love going to practice and watching practice. And I really missed that this year. You know, but what I will say is that, you know, I know, you know, it was really tough on the players, on the coaches. But it, I think the country needed it, you know, and, and the way they stepped up. And, and and did it and pulled it off. I know it was tough on them. And I know, you know, there there were times when I'm sure they didn't think it was worth it. But I think I think when every sports fan looks back, they'll they'll just be thankful that they did it and and pulled it off for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll echo a lot of that. It was it was just a lot of fun this season. And, and you know, congrats again to everybody who pulled it off. And you know, I do look forward to next season, hopefully when things get a little bit normal and, you know, being at the rack this year when it was empty was not quite the same. So let's hope for a, a much better next season. Absolutely, Chris. Uh, I think for next season, maybe not full-blown normalcy, but certainly uh, a return to more normalcy than what we saw this season. I think the big thing I'll remember this season is just how recognizable it is. You know, when you go back and watch old highlights from basketball, football, baseball, you can usually maybe pinpoint within three, four years of when a clip happened. Uh, There's no mistaking when a highlight from 2020, 2021 happened, when you see 10, 15 years down the road, when they show that, that, uh, that shot for Gonzaga, where you have the benches spread out, you have the, the tarp on some of the seats, you have whatever small amount of fans in the arena. I, I think it's just going to be an odd thing, you know, 15 years from now when you see highlights uh, of this season and, and go, well, that was 2020, that was 2021. I remember that. Uh, so it, it's certainly a recognizable season. And like Jerry, I'm happy we got through it. And, and there was some there were some parts where it was iffy. We had shutdowns all over the country. Uh, we had guys getting sick, of course, which is what you don't want to see because it is, you know, a serious virus. Uh, but uh, but I am happy that we did get through it. And, and for the fans and just for the the people to have an escape from from all the, the negativity and all the bad things happening uh, to be able to sit down and watch this tournament. Uh, I'm with Jerry. I'm happy it happened. So that's it for our season. That's going to do it for Jersey Jump Shot. Thank you all for listening along with us for these last 18 episodes. Uh, as we wrap up quickly, uh, let's quickly go around. Uh, Jerry. Now that basketball's done, what are you uh, what are you working on, and, and what can some uh, our listeners read of yours on app.com and northjersey.com? 
Well, first of all, there's going to be there's still going to be a lot of transfer news, who's coming, who's going. So keep following the bouncing ball there. And then, you know, I have a I have a few different projects I'm working on. I'll be covering uh, our local people who are gearing up for the Olympics. So I'm writing something this week about that. Uh, I, you know, I'll keep an eye on track and field. It's a sport close to my heart as a former track athlete many cheeseburgers ago. I'll be keeping an eye on the local track scene. Like I said, writing about our potential Olympians and uh, and doing some some sports human interest type stories because I feel like it's that's what makes sports great, right? It's the people and the stories behind the sports. So so I'll be doing some of that and looking forward to also catching my breath and getting a full night's sleep. Steve, how about you? Yeah, as Jerry said, I think there's still going to be a lot of basketball to be written in the coming weeks for sure. But, uh, you know, I'm actually going to be doing a lot with uh, Monmouth has a a nationally ranked uh, football team and, you know, FCS is playing spring football. So it's it's the only football out there right now. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but uh, again, we're going to be getting into uh, a lot of the the other and the, the, the spring sports going on. So I think there's going to be a lot of good stories out there as we kind of emerge from the pandemic and get closer to normal and have more fans hanging around and uh, get back to business as usual, I hope. Chris? Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit like Steve. I'm going to be uh, covering some spring football. Rutgers is still uh, their COVID pause went another week, but we're expecting things to you know get going for them here soon. So they'll start hold, holding spring practices, and then they'll have their annual Scarlet White game uh, at some point in May. Um, you know, scheduled for May 1st originally, but uh, obviously that's probably going to get pushed back because of the pause. But that'll, that's how I'll spend the next few weeks and next couple months is just focusing on them. So should be a lot of fun, and it uh, you know should be pretty interesting to see uh, how that goes. Great stuff. I know I have plenty of videos to do. We've got a, uh, a state wrestling show coming up in a week. So if you're a high school wrestling fan, be sure to check that out. And then football, high school, college pro just around the corner. Uh, but that's going to do it for Jersey Jump Shot. Uh, 18 episodes on the season. We know it's been a chaotic year, so we hope we were able to bring you some joy and entertainment during a, an unusual season. Uh, thank you to our listeners. We've seen our numbers uh, grow each and every week, and that's a tribute to you guys. Uh, we share the link on our Twitter accounts. We post it on app.com, northjersey.com, and you guys do the rest through word of mouth and by sharing the link. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening. We're happy you enjoy the show, and we certainly love bringing to you every single week. And like we said, just because college basketball season is over does not mean we won't have anything to do. The four of us have plenty to cover for app.com and northjersey.com between news and sports. So follow those sites and follow us on Twitter as well, at NJHoopsHaven for Jerry, at Steve Edelson APP, at Chris Eisman, and at APP. Guys, it has been a pleasure doing the show with you this year. We had some fun, didn't we, this season, huh? Yes, sir. Thank you. The countdown to a new season begins, and when it tips off, we'll be here to talk about it. For Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, Chris Eisman, I'm Ryan Ross. Thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. We'll talk to you next season. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.